Hello, welcome to our audio Bible study. This is lesson 21 out of 25 lessons, and I pray that this entire series will help you know more about the God of the Bible. God bless and enjoy the series. Well, today we are going to be exploring in search of the last church, the last true church. Well, the reason why we're going to cover this is simply because today there are numerous churches in existence. Some would say there are tens of thousands of denominations of Christian denominations in this world. Then the question says, does it matter which church you belong to? Imagine if you're a new Christian and you wanted to join a church. Now, out of tens of thousands of church, which church would you join? Or does it really matter whichever church you join? Well, let's check the Bible and say, in the end times, how many church organizations does Jesus desire to have on this earth? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, and I quote, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, unquote. Now, rather than have a multitude of various churches presenting a wide variety of different messages, God is seeking to bring his people together in the end times, united under the truth of his word, under one church. With that biblical background, now let's go back to square one. Let's first ask this question. A very fundamental question. Does it matter if a person attends church at all? The best way of answering this is to look at examples or stories being told in the Bible. The Bible is a good example of God's people gathered together for worship and fellowship, as well as for the purpose of unitedly working to share the gospel with the world. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, I quote it. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is in New King James. Now let me paraphrase what this passage means. And I'm quoting from Jack Blanco's Bible called The Clear Word. And it says, Don't give up the habit of worshipping together as some have already done, but encourage each other all the more as you see signs of the great day approaching. Unquote. Now the great day being the end of time. So to answer the question, does it matter if a person attends church? Yes, it matters. It matters if you don't want to give up the habit of worshipping together. It matters if you don't want to give up the opportunity to be able to encourage and learn from each other. And it doesn't matter if you want to give up the opportunity to fellowship with other Christians. Well, to put it in another, another way, it is important to attend church. We, if we were to summarize why it is important to attend church, there'll be four key benefits. Number one, the church is a place where you can enhance your spiritual journey. 
together with other Christians. Number two, the church is where you can encourage each other in their spiritual journey as well. Sometimes when we go wrong, we are being corrected and someone else has gone wrong, then you have the opportunity to point it out to them. So together we grow in a church. Number three, the church community and organization enables a more effective sharing of the gospel, as I've said just now. We correct each other and we encourage each other. And fourthly, why belong to a church? You will experience the blessing and benefits of a community, a like-minded community based on Christ's centeredness. Being part of a faith community, it, being part of this community offers significant spiritual, emotional and social advantages. So why would you not belong to a church? Well, let's not look at what we, the benefits today. Let's look at the apostolic days, Jesus' days. Did Jesus even believe that people should belong to a church? Well, Jesus himself faithfully attended church every Sabbath. He made it clear that his intention was that he would build a church as well. He was, it's hard to imagine that Jesus would establish a church if he would not want people to go there. That makes logical sense. Why would he want to build a church if he has no intention of people attending that place? Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 18, I quote, On this rock I will build my church, unquote. This is plain as day, that Jesus has intent to build a church and in intent that people will go to this church. Well, then the question is asked, did he actually build a church before he left for heaven? Well, again, let's have a look at the Bible. In fact, the Bible clearly states that after Jesus died, the church multiplied and grew, and it was used by God to share light and blessing with the world. Now, the church that Jesus built multiplied and grew. You can't multiply and grow something that is not there, but is there already. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31, I quote, The churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied, unquote. So did Jesus establish a church in this world before he went to heaven? Yes. Okay, we now know Jesus did, but what about the disciples? Did they work to establish any particular church at all? Acts chapter 2, verse 47, I quote, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved, unquote. Now, although it did not have a denominational name, like we have tens of thousands of denominational names these days, the disciples labored to build up Christ's church. It was an organized church described as the body of Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. This body of Christ is where people became part of through the ordinance of baptism. And Christ's church also had deacons and elders, and it sent out missionaries as well. So Jesus not only established an organization called a church, it grew, it multiplied, so did the disciples. They also added more people to the church in an organized manner. 
Now, it's very clear in the Bible that God's church would be characterized by a commitment, a passion to teaching His truth, not a place to teach culture, not a place to teach tradition or customs or man-made doctrines, but a place to teach the Bible truth. First, Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And this is how Apostle Paul described the church. I quote, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth, unquote. Paul has called God's church house of God. It's a living church with pillars and a place for the truth to be taught. That was what exactly what Paul used the church for. And in biblical times, the symbol for the church is a woman. Throughout those times, a woman symbolically represents a church. A pure woman represents God's true church. An impure woman represents an impure church. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 2, and I quote, I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman, unquote. Now then, you ask, how come God's intention was to have one church? And during the apostolic days, Jesus would have created one church, although there wasn't any denominational name in that, but it was one church. The disciples created and expanded one church. What happened in between? What happened to so many churches these days, each teaching their form of doctrines with a different name and different emphasis? Well, before we go into the reason why, let's first establish the special characteristics that the church will take on in the last days. In the end, what does God want and which is the church that God would one. Let's have a look at that characteristics. And this was defined very clearly in the Bible. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, and also Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. I quote from chapter 12. The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to war with the rest of her offsprings and keep who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, unquote. Now, in 1217, we're talking about the dragon, who is Satan, is absolutely angry at the church, the woman. And he, he's made a vow to make war, to go against, to fight against the offspring of this church, offspring of this woman. In other words, the, the descendants of this church, if you like, the remnants of this church. And then it goes to define what they look like, what this true church looks like. It says, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Two things, commandments and have the testimony. And this characteristic was repeated in Revelations 14, 12, and I quote, here are those who keep the commandments of, the, of God and the faith of Jesus, unquote. So God's end time church, the last one church, the last remnant church will be characterized, characterized by faith in God 
and obedience to Him. These characteristics have always been present in those who have faithfully followed the God of the Bible. Right from Genesis. In Genesis 26, 5, God said to Abraham, Abraham, obey my voice and keep my charge, my commandments with an S, my statutes with an S, and my laws with an S, unquote. You see, there will be major changes before the end times start. Major changes within the church or types of church. And God is seeking, and he knew that. So God is seeking to prepare a group of people who are ready to spend eternity with him. And this group of people is the one church, the last remnant church that God has preserved right throughout history. And this remnant church, this true church, if you like, was described again in another part of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12 verse 1 says, I quote, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars, unquote. Revelation chapter 12 basically depicts that pure true church that is clothed with the beauty of nature and reflecting light to the world. However, God's church would have a difficult experience right throughout human history. And let's now go there and unpack what this history is, why God's church has been morphed, and why in the end God continues and will preserve a final remnant group of people who will be God's true remnant church. You know, there is a, a very true statement that says, if you can't beat them, join them. Now, Satan, in the last few verses we're saying, was angry with the church, God's church, and he's vowed to take revenge on, if you like, the descendants, the offspring of this, this church. And Satan has vowed to destroy God's church, this group of people that would share God's message. So it's a very simple philosophy. If you can't join or can't beat them, you join them. And throughout history, you can see that has happened, that Satan tried very hard to kill and destroy God's people right throughout history, particularly throughout the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. And he failed. And when he realized that's not going to work, he changed strategy. And then instead of trying to beat them, he joined them. But he joined them by dividing them, by telling lies, by changing and destroying from within. A classic strategy would be to establish false churches and give people options. And people would choose those options and they may choose the wrong options if they are not aware. A powerful strategy. And let's explore it now. Revelation chapter 12 verse 13 says, I quote, When the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, being the church, who gave birth to the male child, unquote. Now the devil knows the most effective way to hurt Jesus is to hurt those he loves most. The early church, the early Christian church, suffered greatly in the hands of pagan Rome during the Roman Empire. Enormous numbers of Christians were martyred, 
burnt alive, fed to lions, killed, beheaded, you name it. But instead, well, before year 321, Christianity was an outlawed religion, if you like. When it was outlawed, if you ever caught being a Christian, you would have considered to have committed a hideous crime punishable by torture and death. But instead of destroying God's church during those times, persecution became the catalyst for growth. The Christian character in life and death was such a powerful witness at that time that others were inspired to join God's Christian church. When the Romans in the Colosseum saw Christians being mauled by lions, they sang hymns. They were not afraid. They had this inner joy and inner peace in, in them. Even though they're facing the lions, they just sang hymns. And that was a powerful witness for pagan Rome, that the people saw, despite them, the Christians being burned alive on stake and being eaten by lions, they showed no fear. And the pagan Romans thought there is something, something about this inner joy that the Christians had that they were curious about. And that created more and more Christians because they realized what the, the joy that the Christians had that was given by the Lord was something that the Roman, pagan Romans, were looking for themselves. But unfortunately, they were looking for it in wrong areas, in the pagan, in, in from the pagan gods instead of from the true God. In fact, the early Christian historians, Tertullian, is quoted to having said that Quote, the blood of the martyrs, the Christians who had died, is the seed, unquote. That is the seed of the church. The more they died, the more people joined Christianity. Realizing that persecution would not achieve his aim, Satan couldn't destroy the Christian church because the more you destroy, the more people join them. Satan decided to change his tactics, as I said earlier, and resorted to corrupting the Christian church bringing about his ruin from an inside-out strategy. So what happens to the Christian church in the Middle Ages? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, I quote, Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day, which is the second coming, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, and the son of perdition, unquote. See, after the first 300 years or so of Christianity, the truth of God's word were obscured by tradition, obscured by false teaching, false doctrines. When the persecution was reintroduced, multitudes who would not yield to the, to the authority of the ruling church then were banished or killed. See, in the first three to five hundred years, the church at that time, there was a counter church. There was a, a false church that was created by Satan and that collaborated with the political power back in 538 AD. With this power, the church, Satan used the, the, this false church as a, an agent 
to try to destroy all the Christians. And this was witnessed in history. In history, you had a church that had control of armies, control of the economy, and indeed control of the kings brought about extreme power. And during these moments of persecution by the false church, if you like, what did the true church then do during these times of persecution? Well, the Bible had said it and warned it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 and verse 14. I look, I'll read and quote verse 6 first. The woman, being the church, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days, unquote. Now, what this verse is saying that during the period of severe persecution, God looked after this last true remnant of people who hold the truth of the Bible dearly. God had made them and let them fl uh, flee into the wilderness. In verse 14, Revelation 12, verse 14 says, the woman, being the church, was given two wings of a great eagle, meaning to be able to flee, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent, unquote. Prophecy in this Bible talks about 1,260 years or days, and in prophecy times, every day is a year. So in this chapter 12, verse 6, it talks about 1,260 years. And again, in chapter 14, it's repeated in more colloquial Jewish standards. In ancient um, times, a time in Jewish year is 360 days. Times with an S is two years. And half a time is half a year. So if you added time, which is one year, which is 360 days, and you added that to times, which is two years, which is 720 days, and you add another half a year, which is 180 days, it comes out to exactly 1,260 days, which is equivalent to 1,260 years. So in this prophecy in the book of Revelation says that during the times of persecution by the false church. And Satan's job is to get rid of true Christians. It started persecuting for the, the true Christians for 1,260 years. And at that, that time, God had looked after this small group of true Christians and protected them in the wilderness for this period. Now, this prediction, this prediction was perfectly fulfilled by history when the church went into hiding during the reign of this power for 1200 years the church were persecuted the true church was persecuted from the date of 538 AD and 538 AD was a time when political power and a false church power had got together and created a huge empire to persecute God's true church. It started in 538, uh, 1260 years after 538 brings it to 1798. 
1798, there was a major upheaval in uh, by Napoleon, where General Batir of Napoleon had deposed this political and religious power that persecuted God's true church in 1798, fulfilling the prophecy as it was written in Revelation chapter 12. Now for this period, God not only protected a small group of people, but prior to this fall of the false church, a movement began that brought reformation to the Christian church. The Bible was translated into the common language, which is English, or then it was uh, first into uh, German. And the people understood the gospel of Jesus and the Bible prophecy. And after the darkness of tradition and error, meaning at the time that if you were caught with the Bible, you'd be persecuted. But God prepared a group of people to spread the gospel 44. through the Bible in the common language, in the normal language that people understood. And that marked the end of this dark ages, if you like. And the light of the gospel began to shine just before 1798. And the slow process of exiting the wilderness had begun. As the light of the word of God began to shine brighter in the world, churches emerged, new churches emerged from 1798 that build on the truth taught by earlier churches. The spirit of the Reformation continued throughout the world until God's church was established for the last days, a church that would return to all the original teachings of the true Christian church before the teachings was corrupted by a false church. Now, Satan was specifically angry with the rest of her offsprings, as quoted in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. The, this offspring is called remnant in uh, the King James Version. Remnant meaning the remnant church, the last true church before the last days. The devil is absolutely enraged with this church because it represents the truth. And he will do his best to deceive and discourage as many God's people as possible because he knows that the time is short and that this is a war that he will ultimately lose. So in the last days, he will pick on this true remnant church to try and destroy through falsehood and use divide and conquer principles. Well, let's now put some points down to identify the true marks or the marks of God's final true church. And this I would ask that you listen clearly because this, if you were to select any church, this says make sure the church has this characteristic because this will be the true church. The remnant church, if you like, is the final church that represents Jesus Christ and his truth in the closing moments of his age, prior to his second coming. Now, God has provided a clear, clear characteristics to enable us to easily identify this church. Number one, this church will rise after AD 1798. And this was in Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 and 14. In the wilderness, 
until AD 1798, the end of 1,200 years of this political and religious supremacy. That's the end of it. The church, this church, will emerge from obscurity to be a global representation of God's love and truth. So A, it has to come out after 1798, not before that. Number two, it will believe the original teachings of the Christian church. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. In other words, just like a remnant material, a remnant, a remnant cloth, the end part of the cloth will be the same color and will be the same pattern as the original. God's final church, God's final true remnant church will teach the same message as the original apostolic Christian church. Number three, it will be a global movement, not just a con congregational suburban church, nor even a country church or a state church, but it will be a global movement. This is depicted in Revelation 14.6. God's final church will proclaim his final message to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. The next point. This church will proclaim the everlasting gospel. Revelation 14, 6 to 12. The everlasting gospel found in Revelation 14 presents several key teachings. It has to be those key teachings, meaning, number one, fear for God. Revelation, this is verse 7. Give glory to him. Verse 7. The hour of his judgment has come. Verse 7, and I'm all this in Revelation 14. And the next key teachings is worship him to make who make the make the heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of the water. This is called worshiping the creator God. That is verse 7 again. And it talks about the teaching talks teaches that Babylon has fallen. Verse 8 now. Babylon. We will talk about what Babylon is and what it means in a later lesson. And one of the teachings says, do not worship the beast or receive the mark of the beast. Revelation 14, 9 and 10. And another one, this church believes and it keeps all of God's commandments, capital S. Not nine of them, not four of them, not three of them, but all of God's commandments. And we say all, it means all, which includes the seven-day Sabbath. Commandment 4, Revelation 12, verse 17, Revelation 14, verse 12. And now the last two characteristics you want to watch out for is this church will teach that death is a peaceful rest that lasts until the resurrection. In other words, when you die, you simply fall asleep and you know nothing until the resurrection comes. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. And the last characteristics is, this church will believe in the words of the prophets and in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the gift of prophecy. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Now this is a whole list of characteristics you need to watch out for when you want to join the true church. The only church organization in the world that fulfills each of these identifying characteristics is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Founded in 1863, the Seventh-day 
Adventist Church grew out of a sincere desire to know and follow Jesus according to the Word of God. This church has been built on the biblical understanding of the Reformers. The Adventist Church is the only global organization presenting the everlasting gospel of Revelation 14. Just as the Bible presents faith in Jesus as the only means of salvation and obedience to God's commandments as a result of faith in Jesus, the Seventh-day Adventist Church teaches that Jesus will soon return to this earth and will take his faithful children home to heaven. Committed to Christ's commission to take that gospel to all, it is a church that believes in sharing Jesus in the world, or to the world. And this is a church that bases its teachings solely on the Bible. And nothing else, that is the only source of truth and only basis of the source of truth. Now in the end time, in the Bible, it describes the confused system of religion in the last days. They call it, the Bible calls it Babylon, a confused state of being. Now, as I said earlier, there are tens of thousands of Christian denominations in this world. We have just finished identifying the last remnant true church by the list of characteristics. Now, what invitation does Jesus make to those outside this final remnant church, final true church? See, Jesus knows that people will be deceived. So Jesus made the last call in the Bible. Revelation chapter 18 verse 4 and John chapter 10 verse 16. And I quote Revelation first. I have heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you shall share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues, unquote. In Revelation 18, Jesus, our Lord, is saying, don't be confused. Wake up and get out of Babylon. Get out of this confused state to a place where I have set for you, to a place that I call the true remnant church. And I quote John 10, 16, now, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one sheep, unquote. The word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means call out once. These are the safe people. These are the last true remnant people within all churches, people who love God and who are living up to the spiritual light they have. And as we approach the end time, Jesus is calling his people into one flock, into one remnant, true church, his final church of the last days. Now soon there'll be only two global religions. One will worship and obey Jesus Christ. The other will yield to the religious powers of the world. Now the time is to hear and call Jesus and to follow him in truth and be part of his last day's church. So choose wisely. Choose with information. And we have given you all the information to make your choice. So before I finish, I want to ask you this question. I'd like you to ponder this question in the quietness of your heart, that Jesus loves you. He is calling you to join him within God's end time church. 
He is calling you to come out of Babylon, come out of this confused state of church at the churches at the moment. He knows it's your decision. It's your decision to follow him or reject him. It's your decision to absorb the truth that's been shared with you now. It is indeed your decision to follow Jesus according to the teachings of the Bible and become a part of sharing God's final message to the world. Would you do that? I pray that in the quietness of your heart, you would say, yes, yes, I want to join the true church. I want to join this remnant church and get out of the current confused state and finally come to the truth, the one church, the one flock. God bless.